awesome. Awesome. That was awesome. You guys are awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you are awesome. Sir, you are awesome. Seriously. Awesome. 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 Everything is awesome. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything is Awesome. I am your host, Kev, and this is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. This week's show is a first for Everything is Awesome history. Normally, when you hear co-hosts on this show, it's Everything is Awesome late night, the live edition of this show when we go to a bar or a comic book store or somewhere to do this show. Uh, but uh, I had a special request from my co-host to sit in on this interview. Uh, please welcome my co-host, Mike D'Angelo. Hey, hey. Uh, and I'm going to cut him off right there. Normally he says more, and I normally give him better props, but this is my time to shine, Mike. Um, this week's guest is uh, someone who is a bit of an inspiration, especially to, to Mike, um, but is someone who we've actually uh, sat down, and, and I, I think it was a very failed attempt with That's Entertainment to do an interview years, uh, probably about four years ago. Um, and But like when this this project appeared on Kickstarter, it drew me in big time because it was like it just called back to that classic era of video games, the classic eight bit kind of art uh, that I still go for. Like I'd rather play those games. In fact, I download those on the virtual console or good old games or whatever, you know. And that they're the games I still like to play. It's what happens when you're in thirties and you don't have time for real video games. Uh, but so I'm really excited to bring on. Um, one half of the Brotherwise from Brotherwise Games, the creator of Boss Monster. Please welcome to the show, Chris. Did not verify your last name. O'Neill. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, very professional of you, Chris. What, what you're going to realize? So it's actually really adorable because that's right. I said adorable, Mike. Uh, I don't do any prep for these interviews anymore. Like back when, I don't know if you remember trying to do an interview with me like years ago with that's entertainment and it like i think just was an epic fail and we ended up doing a written interview instead of a podcast yeah i do remember that actually yeah <laughs> but we had, we had a good written interview yeah yeah it, it ended up being good uh, going that route it was back when i worked in a like in a place where I, I could not do the show anywhere but like either my lunch hour or like right after work on my way home so it was such a ghetto setup um but now, like now that I have more, I guess freedom or whatnot, uh, I don't do any preparation now. Like back then, I used to pray a prayer with questions and whatnot. And Mike sent me a text today saying, uh, "Yeah, I'm going to um, bring a copy of the questions that I have uh, for the interview today, so you just have a copy of them." And I was like, "All right, cool, cool, cool." And he got here, handed them to me. I'm like, I, I read it over. I was like, "I'm not going to look at this at all today." He seriously just tossed them aside. <laughs> nice. Uh, so it's I, I feel this show. Everything is awesome. Is more. I like the the idea of it being a free flowing conversation. Um, so you'll get a mix of, you know, Mike has like the hard hitting questions, whereas is, is, as I am just going to want to talk about whatever comes to my mind and, and and whatever you spit out and whatnot. Awesome. It looks like you have to say something, Mike. <laughs> I have I have nothing to say yet. I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my prompt. This is going to be uh, for for you, Chris, and for the listeners. Is going to probably be a, an awkward transition as Mike learns how to do an interview. I don't know how to speak. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with the very like the beginning, the origin point for uh, you, Chris, with um, th- your love of you know both the eight bit style of video games and more of a tabletop like card game or any kind of tabletop game. Really, where's that origin point? Where's that origin point? Well, um, you know, I've been a nerd and a gaming nerd, you know, as far back as I can remember. Uh, and I have very, very fond memories of, uh, of playing video games. Uh, we, we had a TI-99, I think A4, way back when. It was you know, one of those little uh, keyboard with a contra- uh, cartridge slot. Uh, you could play Hunt the Wumpus. I don't know if you guys remember those. Maybe two years ago. But... Um, we were, you know, we were sort of playing video games at my house really early on, uh, really before Atari launched. And uh, oh, wow. that, that uh, yeah, we, I mean, we, we graduated from the TI up to, uh, I think, a Commodore, uh, and then eventually got the Atari. Um, but it was really, uh, it was really when the NES system first came out uh, that we, that I think the sort of the seeds of all this was, was born, because... At that point, um, my brother Johnny, who is the other brother and brother-wise, he, he's eight years younger than me. So, uh, 
he had a bit of growing up to do before he could sort of join me in this. And so it was really with uh, the NES and Mario and Zelda that we really started um, sort of sharing that love of um, sort of classic video games, uh, including arcade games. And I have, you know, I have many fond memories of hanging out with the arcades that existed at that time. Um, and, and I think that if you sort of merge that with the sort of also shared love of, of um, fantasy and sci-fi movies and gaming, um, all of that was sort of in the, in the uh, witch's cauldron that eventually bubbled up into uh, Brotherwise. That's, uh, you know, I, I feel like now Mike and I are, you know, for me at least, I kind of remember Atari, like my parents had an Atari, uh, and the one game, and I don't know the name of it, all I remember is it was like a, 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 a criminal that was throwing bombs. Oh, Kaboom. Kaboom, that's it. Yeah. That's like my first memory of a video game, uh, and then the next one is years later with, I mean, obviously like Mario and stuff like that, but like the one that like sticks out of my mind is like um, Bugs Bunny's birthday castle or whatever with uh on the regular nintendo that game my uncle and i played for hours like I, he stayed up 24 hours to beat it you did a full article on that that's how much <laughs> that game meant to you yeah, that dumb dumb game like means the world to me um it's but, a yeah. lot of great games there's a, there's a, there's a, i mean there is a golden age of video games in between those two points um and, and a lot of people um actually these days are putting those games up on the web on emulators and so there's a number of places you can go and play Kaboom or Bomberman or, you know, um, any, any number of games. And, uh, and it, it actually feels very close to, those, to that old, uh, old retro. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy going back to, like, now I don't use emulators too, too much. I usually stick to just, like, a virtual console or, like I said earlier, ga- good old games. And I don't think I've ventured into Steam, but I don't I don't know if they do the classics. You get some legacy stuff on, like, the Xbox every now and yeah, then, yeah, like yeah, the Atari yeah. classics and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so, and that's, like, my, my now, in, like, I'm 32? I'm, 32, I'm 32 years old, and I have two kids, so like my gaming time is like way down compared to when it was a decade ago, and I gravitate towards those older school games, A, to teach my kids how to play video games, because they should learn right. The right way. Yeah. Uh, and also, like, it's just, uh, I go towards the, um, like the story-esque games, like Telltale games. I love them, because it's literally, I can check out for two hours and finish an episode of that game. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, you mentioned having the kids. I think that um, one of the one of the neatest things about the sort of retro craze that, that uh, sort of swept uh, popular culture over the last you know, five or six years is it really is sort of a touchstone to connect uh, sort of your kids with your past. And so both Johnny and I have kids, and um, I find myself sitting down with my daughter and sort of explaining boss monster imagery and sort of what with this game and showing her and um, it, it's a great way to sort of reconnect uh, with your past almost for sure. Yeah, it's. Um, I feel the same way. Like it's. It's my my son loves, and now he'll want to go to like the newer Mario's every now and then. But like, uh, it's he'll play like he'll play the um, Mario Advance on the on the DS or Game Boy Advance or whatever. He'll play that for like hours if I let him. Uh, and it's good to see him. Like like Mario three, I think is the big one that we uh, that we have uh, either on virtual console or in in the actual advanced disc. Uh, and yeah, he loves that game. And I. Like every now and then we'll go and we'll like he's got some sort of weird obsession with Assassin's Creed Four. Uh, he's five years old. I don't know where he got that obsession, but so every now and then he wants to go to that. that but then we'll you know we'll rein it back into the classic stuff because that, again that's just there's something to it the nostalgic uh, you know feeling whatever whatever it is there's just something about that that is very comforting for you know I guess our generation of gamers. I think Assassin's Creed is a good training for any number of future vocations. so um so much like i think most gamer nerds your origin point dates back to those class that classic era the golden age as you so uh you know greatly put it um so so when did you know at what point did you realize and, and johnny realized that you wanted to do something yourselves when you wanted to go from consumer to creator um we had been gamers for a long time, but we lived in different states. And so up until 
2009, I lived in Michigan. He had been in California for a while. Uh, and before that, I think he'd been in New York or, or Chicago somewhere. So we, we just weren't able to get together that often to game together. Um, and so when, we, when I moved out to California uh, in 2009, we were actually only about an hour away from each other at that point. And uh, started gaming more, and I, and I think one of the things, especially with tabletop gamers, um, you know, maybe less so with video gamers, but with tabletop gamers, you tend to very quickly move from playing a game and enjoying a game to critiquing the game and thinking about how you'd make it better and, and doing house rules and things like that. Um, and you know, we sort of said, you know, hey, we're, um, we're we're spending a lot of time talking about what would make these games better. Let's let's put our money where our mouth is and try to to make some games. So we uh, made a bet that the first guy who could come up with a playable prototype of a game would, um, would uh, I, I can't remember what it was, I think he got dinner or a beer or something. It was not much of a bet. Um, and Johnny uh, had been working on a game for years. Uh, and as I recall, I think maybe since college, and, and the game had something to do with, with high school popularity. It was sort of this bidding game, and um, it was uh, it, it was sort of I, I can't remember. It was like a translation of like Archie and Archie comics into sort of a, a more strategic environment or something. But um, that was sort of the kernel of his game, and I came up with some memory game that um, I think I actually won the bet because I sort of ran off and uh, maybe I was really focused on that beer, but I think I, I like made, made a game on a weekend and came back and had played that. And what we quickly realized was, you know, it was great that I won the um, contest, but Johnny's idea seemed to have more legs. And it went through a number of iterations um, where uh, I, at one point it morphed from teenage girls and, you know, competing for popularity to, uh, I think I want to say, like, Dungeons and Dragons folks competing for treasure. Uh, and then there was a point where it was sort of car. You laid out cards to form a map uh, as you were, you know, moving through a dungeon. Uh, and then at some point he came in and he had um, this version of the game where you had a boss at the end of the game, uh, or you had a, a treasure at the end of the game, and you laid out these traps and monsters in front of it. And it was sort of the what would eventually become boss monster as it as it currently exists. And at that point, we played through it, and I think I said, uh, you know, man, this, this sort of reminds me of a side-scrolling dungeon from, like, Mario. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of interesting. Uh, and I said, <laughs> he just kind of blew you off. Why don't we do, um, why don't we do this game up in, like, 8-bit, sort of 16-bit art and make this uh, really mimic one of those side-scrolling dungeons? And he, he hated the idea. He, he really, he did not like the idea at first. And I think it was because I used, I used the word Mario. And I think he was sort of thinking like, I don't want this to be about plumbers and turtles. <laughs> and and so he's, he's the younger up. brother, right? So he's, did he, he grow up in like, maybe like the SNES Nintendo 64 era or? Yeah, he would have. And, and I think, and, and realistically, he sort of stuck with video games after I had sort of um, stopped playing video games as much. Um, so he was, he was much more familiar with video games and, uh, than I was even. And so he just didn't, I think I just used the wrong language. And, and, but as will often happen with us, I think we had some fight about it and some conflict about it. Uh, and he, he drove home and he actually called me when he got home and he said, okay, I was thinking about what you said and I don't think you're quite onto it, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to see what I can figure out. And, uh, the, uh, I think the next week or, you know, whenever he got a chance to work on it again, uh, he came back and, in fact, it was Boss Monster and we sort of knew it and loved it. Yeah, because it's got some awesome, you know, art assets that, like, remind you of, you know, various things like um, like Mega Man, Double Dragon. Um, you do have a little bit of Mario 2 in there with, uh, you know, King Croak who looks like Wart from, you know, Mario 2. Um, some Castlevania kind of feels to it. I mean, it, it's it really is like art from like inspired by like that golden age of like the NES era. 
It is. I mean, once we decided to dive into it, it, it was a deep dive. We, um, we, we really, uh, you know, the, the game, I, and I think we sort of freely admit this, is as much driven by the theme as it is by the mechanic. Uh, and um, we, we love watching people play Boss Monster and go, hey, is that supposed to be Seamus? You know, that's, uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, all kinds of Easter eggs hidden in there, including some which we've never seen anybody get. Um, oh, wow. That's part of the fun of the game. The game is really meant to, uh, and we made a big, it sounded pretentious, but we made a big deal out of this when it came out. The game is really meant to sort of be a nostalgia machine. It's meant to take you back. Um, we, we hope that's what it does. Well, and it, it, it totally does that. And I remember when the the kickstarter first happens seeing it and i i think that i think boss monster was my introduction to kickstarter as far as being a, a consumer if not completely like it came across my feed on on something maybe it was maybe it was like a, some website doing an article on it and it like i think that at the time like i was in the middle of playing a couple games from uh, Gog that were cl- like new games but made in that sprite 8-bit kind of style and it, it spoke to me like the artwork spoke to me and it hit me in that nostalgic feel but once I finally got the copy in my hands and I started playing it with you know Mike here and some other people it's not just like yeah it's it is completely that it is a great little nostalgic trip but it's also just a great game like it's it's you know now I'm not a I'm not a big tabletop guy like I play some board games play some card games magic mainly uh not anymore but that, at the time that's what i was playing so like that was like my first kind of like indie game uh for tabletop and playing it was just so unique to me and it still is when i sit down and play it like i don't know that i've ever really played a game anything like it uh and it's just fun to play on its own not even thinking about the 8-bit art as being like that nostalgic trip yeah if you still had like the high school girls on there i think it would still be successful <laughs> well, well, we'll never know. <laughs> we, we we decided early on we were not the guys to do a high school girl. Uh, I I think you could totally do Boss Monster High School Edition. Well, you know it's interesting because um, one of the things we've tried to do with Boss Monster is make it um, as sort of generically gamer friendly as you can. And one of the things we hear is that. Um, what we call the gamer girlfriends or the gamer boyfriends, the, 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 the folks in the, in the relationship who tolerate the other person's gaming but normally don't come to the table, that Boss Monster is one of the games that brings them to the table. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it's... Um, obviously, we're proud of the game. We think it is a fun game to play, and it's done very well. So we, we think sort of people voted with their wallets on that. But... Um, it's uh, you know it's constantly evolving. We're going to have a new mini expansion coming out at Origins, uh, which is a, a big game expo in June. Um, and we're you know we've, we've got lots of plans to sort of keep it rolling and keep it fresh and new, so that if you do get tired of the nostalgia, uh, there's there's always some new gameplay to sort of bring you back in. Yeah, it's it's you guys did that like almost right away. I think with like Tools of a Hero kind to add like a little like a little new mechanic. Uh, to the game, uh, and I got that right away. The the one thing I missed the boat on because of just like uh, having children, I think, was Boss Monster Two was the one thing I you know I just missed out on. But like the digital, I love. Here's what I love that you guys did. You guys went digital with the the original uh, and brought it to the iOS. And I don't know, I don't know if it got the Android. I had it on my iPad, but going digital with it was great because like it was a way for me to like because I I have. Uh, one of those gamer fiancés now that she doesn't really like she puts up with it but like does never like she'll play phase 10 like that's where she gets uh as far as she goes with her gaming uh and maybe like uh you know super major baseball whatever that was for super nintendo super baseball league i don't know um and uh but so being able to play boss monster by yourself was great because you know once i have kids i didn't see i see mike once a week if i'm lucky and it's usually to eat lunch not play games so like the ability to i've always been that guy like with wow you know when i got into that i'd rather go play by myself than play with the entire the rest of the world which is no makes no sense in a multiplayer game like that but that was such a great thing when i saw that um kickstarter start 
Uh, what what got what made you guys decide to go digital? Um, I mean, it was sort of a <laughs> it was a little bit of an inside joke at first. Like we were going to be the the ultimate meta game, the the digital game about a card game about digital games, uh, and it sort of started as a as a joke. But um, that was actually, you know, one of the things we were very aware of as gamers with with uh, wives and kids was that, um, you know, the, the hardest thing about tabletop is finding time to play and finding people to play. And so we wanted to find a way to make it more accessible. Like, you know, if you wanted to play a boss monster and you couldn't find anyone to play it, we'd have an opportunity to do that. Um, now, unfortunately, the multiplayer never seemed to really work as well on the iOS version uh, or the Android version. So there were a lot of frustrations with implementing that. Um, but we, we've got some other. I don't know if you guys have heard of the virtual reality version of Boss Monster, but what? I, I have seen that on your Facebook um, or, or your website, where uh, it, it kind of produces the board in front of you, and you're actually able to to shift everything around, and it, it looked really cool. It, it is ridiculously cool. It is, uh, you know, at first we were sort of, eh, I don't know, this sounds kind of weird. I don't think it's going to work. It's not going to translate well. Uh, and frankly, it's just kind of creepy how well it works. Um, so uh, this company called Altspace VR, uh, who does social VR, they do, um, uh, you know, sort of built around getting people together in virtual reality, doing meetings, doing uh, performances, doing presentations, but also a fair bit of gaming. Uh, so they have Cards Against Humanity. Uh, I think they call it Holograms Against Humanity. I can't remember what they do. <laughs> They have, you know, they have a number of games now in their virtual space. So if you go to altspacevr.com, uh, you don't necessarily need a VR headset. You can actually go in and just use your, your desktop and play uh, a game of Boss Monster on a table. Um, and it, it is remarkably um, high fidelity to the, the, the real world experience. I, I, I have to because I, I – even Mike didn't bring it to my attention. I don't know why. Well, that... because you weren't going to plan on it. But the cool thing is, right now, like I can see, like his hand hovering on the mouse. Like he's he's very close to wanting to look it up right now and just like throw the interview to the side. <laughs> it is something that you know. It's uh, you know, by the time we're done, this interview will be close to my bedtime, and I will stay up for hours, uh, just you know, getting lost in it. Yeah, it's it's super cool, and I, you know, to me, I sort of feel like. Um, I think the next big thing in tabletop is going to be augmented reality. I can totally see it. Like HoloLens type. Yeah, exactly, like the, the Microsoft Wave. So that you're looking down at your game board. Uh, and, you know, unless, of course, the thing I go to is, um, oh God, I forget what it's called, but that monster chess set on the Millennium Falcon, you know, in Star Wars. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Hollow Chess, which really had, had like a better name than that, but. Yeah, I forget what it's called. I what it was. Somebody, I, I'm ashamed. I should know my Star Wars trivia, but um, you know, how many people would you kill to have that game? I mean, that is that's just the coolest thing I can think of, and I, I can't wait for that to be. I, I mean, I feel like that's not that far away. Now we're probably within like the next ten years, I would wager. I have to think so. I mean, there's there's a lot of every time I talk to my VR guys about this, they disabuse me of the notion that this is easy. Uh, but I still feel like we have to make this happen, people. This is. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, you know, up until we went to New York to go and we went to, um, Mike and I went to uh, Ma the, uh, Madame Tussauds uh, Museum, like, and I had no idea what, he was gung-ho about taking me there. He's like, we got to go, we got to go. And I had no idea why until we got there about this Ghostbusters VR thing. And I was, you know, reading about like, you know, the void and all these other VR applications that are coming up. I'm like, it's, it's now I'm nearing that age where things start to frighten me with technology. <laughs> and I was like, I was talking to my fiance. I was like, I think that's where I draw the line. Like, I, I think I become like scared of video games when I have to like be in the video game. When you strap on a helmet. Yeah. And I couldn't be further from the truth with that statement because we played the, uh, the Ghostbusters uh, VR game uh, and it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm I, right there with you. Like, there's no way we're not within a decade of Star Wars hologram chess and stuff like that. And just this augmented reality of video gaming that I'm no longer afraid of. 
Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, obviously it's going to be exciting all around, but, um, you know, one of the, one of the sort of the very near reaching things we can do, um, like with this, with this virtual reality gaming stuff, we've got the ability to bring in rural gamers, you know, people around the middle of nowhere and don't really have anybody to play with or any game stores in the area, um, disabled gamers who can't get out of their house or the game store. Um, there's, there's just so many neat ways now to draw that's that's one of the things I mean it's I think I have the coolest job in the world you know running a games company has to be one of the cooler jobs in the world but it's also in one of the cooler businesses and we've we've just been amazed at how cool the tabletop community is and the community of gamers more broadly um, and it's, it's just a very um, you know I think uh, video gaming can sometimes get a bad rap there can be some you know there's some trolls there and, and some very some tougher situations, but in tabletop in particular, um, the people are just really neat. Uh, and it's so cool to be at one of these conventions and have people say, you know, Hey, we love playing your game. It brought, you know, we, we've had people actually propose in Baltimore for cards. I wonder if you guys knew that. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. So we, we made a custom, uh, proposal card for a guy and he proposed to his wife. So it's a, it's a really great business to be in. And I think that gaming, which is seeing a resurgence, um, you know, over the past uh, decade, is one of the ways that, that people are staying in touch and staying connected in what I think is a sort of like more and more disconnected um, daily reality. Yeah, I mean, I know, um, you know, a bunch of people who have, like, connected through whether it be video games or tabletop they've connected in in such a way like i, I mean i it was like a loose friend of ours but he he ended up meeting his wife through wow i think it was uh and it's it is kind of crazy that that's where we're at and obviously you know just the you know advancement in you know the internet and social media and stuff like that to, to allow us to have this immersive multiplayer kind of lifestyle and whatnot um makes it much much easier but it is really and, and, and yeah like you said the tabletop community being so so close i'm uh, i i'm i want to consider myself a huge tabletop player like i i've recently got into that within the last about year we're part of that resurgence chris was talking about <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like and me it's more so like i'll play the card games and board games every now and then but i really like have like dove like into tabletop rpg and even like that community, if you're going to start breaking down tabletop into like the different communities within just that, like the RPG community is so great. Like I've never had a bad experience with having someone who is a tabletop role player on my show to talk about GMing or to talk about, you know, just playing in general or designing and listening to all the different like podcasts that are out there now for it. Like, it, like they're all really cool and everything I've heard, like I have a good friend who is, you know, really into tabletop RPG and he goes to all the gaming conventions and he says that it's just such a great community. Like there's no hate. It's all love. It is a remarkably open community. Um, and that, that's sort of one of the unspoken rules of, of uh, especially RPG gaming. Sense of, um, everyone has a right guy. Hey there, super friends. It's Kev. I'm just going to interrupt this show for a minute or two so I can do some housekeeping. And first and foremost, something that I've always wanted to do and always forget about is to sit down and read some reviews that people left on iTunes. So we're going to go read the last two that we got. One is from July 28th from Bill. Everything is awesome, is awesome. Great show filled with great conversations. You really get to know Kev and his awesome guests. Subscribe and listen. This is what Oz looks like. Hashtag B1. And of course, uh, our newest one, which was from January 5th, 2017, from Ruffy1092. Nerdy Kev is lovable and brings on great guests and talks about everything you want to hear. It's such a fun show that always puts me in a good mood. Thanks, Ruffy. Uh, this is something that we're going to try to do more and more. So if you want to help support this show, you can do it in several different ways. One of those ways, I'll read your name on air right here. Not not just your name, but your whole review uh, by leaving a five-star review uh, or any review, really. I'll read all of them. But hopefully, you're kind enough to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Just go to the, our iTunes page, subscribe to the page. That way, you don't miss an episode. And, of course, leave that five-star text review. iTunes math does a lot of good things. 
that make more people listen to the show and that means more cool things happen to Everything is Awesome. Another way that you can support is word of mouth recommendations. Just tell friends to listen to Everything is Awesome. Put it on when you're carpooling together on your way to work or on your way to Comic-Con or whatever. And the final way, this one may cost you a little bit of money, uh, but that's okay. If you go to patreon.com slash that entertains, the other, uh, the other ways you help support us are just as good, free for nothing, help us. But this one, if you pledge some money to us, we'll give you some more stuff in return. You know, we, and by we, I mean Jason Ashley from Too Cool for Tabletop and I, we like to have, say $12 a year, bro, $1 a month uh, is really nothing to you. You skip anything for one day and that's more than a dollar uh, and that helps make uh, our dreams come true really if i'm going to be honest that's entertainment uh which is what funds this podcast is running a patreon patreon.com slash that entertains and i mean really honestly if we could hit 25 dollars a month of support that would be wonderful it means bills are covered for us and that's really all i want at the end of the day and everything else is just icing on the cake means we get to do more upgrades means we get to create more content and a lot of the stuff that we want to do is at least early access for you guys that pledge to us on patreon.com slash that entertains or we'll even do some exclusive content we're working on some things um now that we're thinking of for exclusive content that we'll do randomly throughout the year and whatnot so again, if you want to help support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash that entertains, not just supporting this podcast, but you're supporting that's entertainment, which means that even more content besides this podcast will come at you. We're talking skits, sketches, web series, movies, a whole ton of content that we have that we want to do that will eventually get done anyway, but with your help, we can get it done sooner. If you don't want to spend any cash, I completely get it. I understand it iTunes reviews help us tremendously, as well as word of mouth recommendations. Finally, you can also go to um, the contact page on awesomepodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We're going to start sending out weekly reminders of the things that we've posted throughout the week, as well as spotlights on the guests that we've had on our podcasts. Um, And we're also going to be sending out reminders or notifications about new things that we're working on, events that we're going to be doing and whatnot. So uh, just another place to get some more detailed information. We're going to try to make it unique enough for you so that it's worth us invading your inbox. This has been more than a minute or two. So let's get back to the conversation with past Kev, past Mike, and ironically, future Chris O'Neill from Brotherwise Games. You mentioned, you know, your tabletop, uh, you know, designing it because of your you know your love for that when did you transition from video game to tabletop uh you know i had so very early on i was starting to uh, transition away from the more action-oriented like first person shooters and things like that i think the last first person shooter i played was doom and that was a while ago uh, and i sort of transitioned into more strategy games so i was doing a lot of civilization I was doing um, uh, more like war gaming, things like that on the computer. Um, and then I think, um, you know, just starting with Risk and with uh, Axis and Allies. And that was sort of the start of my transition into being more tabletop. Um, so, I, you know, I did play Magic. I didn't do a ton of it. Uh, I, was, I was doing sort of more... I don't know what the term is, kind of history, military games, things like that, more strategy games. Um, and then I think things like Settlers of Catan came out and Epistone and some of the more classic Euro games. And that, that's when I really got hooked on gaming um, and, and really started um, spending a lot of time doing that. Uh, and, um, you know, from... From there, I think I sort of learned to really enjoy all games. I mean, I, I really, there are very few games that I, I can't enjoy and have fun doing. Um, I'm not very good at a lot of games, but, um, you know, that, I, I stopped letting, you know, letting that keep me from having fun a long time ago. Yeah, I, I'm the same way, because in every, oh, like, in video games or tabletop games that aren't, like, RPG-based... I tend to not be on the level of most. 
and uh, like first person shooters, especially like I'm just I enjoy playing. I have a lot of fun playing, but I will have like maybe one kill for every 15 deaths. <laughs> Chris, I make Kev when he plays. He's almost like bait for me. Um, and, and first person shooting like those games, they were stuff that, you know, neither of us had played for probably like 10 years after they became popular, like post the Doom Hexic. Uh, or Hexen or whatever it was, Wolfenstein era, like once PlayStation 2 rolled around and, and like the third or fourth Call of Duty were around and we were ignoring them. And then it kind of got to a saturation point and that was when we got back into it, I think. Yeah, I mean, my my entry point was probably Doom. And then my my uh, the point where I left was GoldenEye because we had a mutual friend, Mike and I, who was just too insanely good at it. And I, I just had to stop playing or I would have ki- killed him in real life. <laughs> professional Goldeneye player. I remember that. It was just crazy how good some people got. It's, uh, yeah, not. I, I gave, I mean, I sort of, I, I tried my best, but yeah, the, even the, um, even the sort of dexterity strategy in Warcraft. Oh yeah, where you have to like min-max everything and yeah, you know, like in, in a minute, you know, that was, uh, that was not where I, you know, where I found enjoyment, and I think that that was sort of the natural transition over to tabletop because, for the most part, tabletop games are not rushed, right? I mean, you're, there are some speed games, but um, you know, this tabletop I found was a more relaxing environment. Um, I, I enjoyed the social aspects of it, and you know, one of the things we say about, you know, the, the best games are both enjoyable and challenging whether you have a beer in your hand or not. Um, so, it's, you know, we, we sort of had this, you should be able to, you know, imbibe and socialize and do other things at the same time you're gaming um, and, and still have fun. And that's that's part of our goal to broaden the reach of Brotherwise games beyond the standard, you know, group of gaming. We, we want those more casual folks to be... Um, you know, to feel like they can sit at that table and not be the, the losers all the time. So, you know, there's, there's the, we want to keep everybody at the table as long as we can have as much fun. Yeah, I, uh, and I think you guys are doing a great job with that, with, with Boss Monster. And I know you guys have some other things down that's coming down the pipe I saw on your site. Uh, so do you want to, like, you want to talk about, like, what's, non-boss monster brother wise games that you may have coming out or that you're working on so um we're really excited about this next game uh, it's called unearth uh, that's that's u-n-e-a-r-t-h uh and uh, this is a game it, it's got another cool story behind it we were back when we um first went to gym con i think in uh oh gosh i don't know a couple of years ago two or three years ago uh, Gen Con being the biggest uh, tabletop game convention in the country, uh, we were approached by a couple designers uh, named um, Jason Horner and Matthew Ransom. Uh, and these guys were first-time designers, and they had designed a, uh, a game, which I think was called Dice Lords. And you sort of rolled dice and claimed territories, and uh, the territories gave you abilities and things like that. Uh, and we, we found it really fun and charming, but it wasn't quite there for us. It wasn't really what we were looking for in a game yet. Um, and so they, they came back the next year with a revision of the game, and um, we really enjoyed it. Uh, and it, at the time, it was called Petals, and you were sort of a hive of bees, um, you know, foraging for flowers. Uh, you, you would have a, a number of dice, a four-sided die, a couple six-sided dice, and an eight-sided die, and you would roll a die and designate a flower, and... Um, whoever had the highest die in any given follow when its claim value was matched, we get that. And so we ended up um, we ended up actually buying it from these guys, uh, and we worked very closely with them on it, and we've retained it a bit so that um, the theme now is uh, you're a you're a little tribe of these guys called Delvers, and you're sort of searching for lost um, ruins and lost cities of your of your ancient civilization and, and um, trying to recover that and bring it back to life. So it's a dice placement game. Um, it's it's. I think it's going to be I think it's going to do well. I'm really excited about it. The art is amazing. we got a guy named Jesse Riggle uh, to do some isometric vector, vector art for it. So 
Um, for our Boss Monster fans who are, you know, shocked that we're leaving the, the 16-bit art behind, we're sort of staying within the realm of video game type art. Um, and uh, it, it's just got a beautiful look to it. When uh, do, you, do you have an idea of when that'll uh, be coming out? It will. It'll be out. Uh, Gen, sorry, Gen Con is in August. Uh, and so uh, folks who follow us uh, uh, on Facebook at, um, at uh, uh, Otherwise Games or Boss Monster on Facebook uh, will we'll, uh, see some teaser images for it. Uh, we're going to be rolling out more teaser images over the next month or two. It's off at the printers. Um, so... Uh, we're on schedule to launch at Gen Con, and um, we'll also be showing it off at Origin. Very nice. Yeah. Um, now here's a question. This is this is more for me than for Kev, because <laughs> um, we I, when we discussed uh, the the whole point of the interview with you, part of it was because we were shamelessly trying to make our own. Um, you know, you guys were a huge inspiration for us and we really, I mean, we were kind of the same way. Like we had always talked about making games and stuff like that, but, um, it never really came to a point until, you know, we played your game and then it was just, come on, Mike, we gotta, we gotta make this. And I think we sat on an idea, well, on several ideas for games for years. years. We were working together years. and, uh, and finally after like three years, something just kind of stuck and, um, and we got to the point where, you know, we, we played it without art. Um, you know, we had like little stick figures and that was the extent of the, uh, the art that we were putting together. And, uh, at, at this point, we're kind of at the point where, you know, we're, we're, we're beta test, like, I guess pre beta testing. Um, it's all internal. We, we have people who are interested in it. Um, and that is pretty much as far as we, we go, as far as, um, you know, how we know how to get involved. Um, from my understanding, Johnny was um, like working at Mattel, so he might have had some insight already. We are going in blind as hell. Um, what would you say was like your plan for getting a manufacturer in check and distributors and things like that? Uh, we we had no plan. <laughs> we we were we were utterly shocked at our success. Um, and so the, the first thing I tell um, new designers, new publishers who are using particularly crowdfunding uh, to try and make their game happen is plan for success uh, because uh, we were really caught flat footed. I think that we set our Kickstarter campaign for $12,000. Um, and I remember the morning we launched, I remember, you know, texting Johnny and saying, Hey man, you know, don't worry if we don't make this twelve thousand dollars, you know, for a couple of weeks. We've got a, you know, it's a month long campaign. Uh, you know, mom and dad can probably bail us out. If we, <laughs> we made that twelve thousand dollars in the first day, and so it was pretty exciting. Um, and part of the uh, part of what made it exciting, and not necessarily in a good way, is we were we were moving so fast on Kickstarter. Uh, and the game took off really for reasons we you know we can't really tell you why it, it took off on Kickstarter. It just caught some some nerve or touched some nerve, I guess. But um, we were coming up with stretch goals like every night, like okay, what should our next stretch goal be? And um, we got to come up with some cards. What do we do? Like, should we? What if we made item cards? You know, that you attach to guys. Let's quickly come up with some item cards. Uh, and so we were really scrambling um, and. And what we tell everybody who's going into do a Kickstarter now or an Indiegogo, whatever it's going to be, um, plan for success. You know, the worst thing that happens is you don't get as far as you thought, and you can kind of hide the fact that you had all these stretch goals planned. Um, but, but plan for that success. Do do your research on printers. Uh, uh, and, I, you know, at some point, as we're putting together the budget for the Kickstarter and figuring out what our minimum would be, uh, we just emailed a couple of printing companies. Um, I, you know, Panda Game Manufacturing is one that does a lot of work with smaller publishers. Uh, and we said, here's our specs. Can we get a quote? And we got some quotes for various amounts of units. I think, you know, we asked for like a thousand unit quote and we asked for a five thousand unit quote. I, I don't think we asked for a lot more than that. Um, and, um, 
you know, they're they're more than happy to, to, to give you a quote and to talk with you and to walk you through it. Um, so there's there's really nothing to be lost by emailing one of these companies. Um, they they've learned that Kickstarter is is a successful path for many new game designers. Um, and we're we're always rooting for anybody on Kickstarter who's trying to make it work. Um, we you know it's it's a tough environment. A lot more projects fail on Kickstarter than succeed. Uh, but it is really now, uh, it, it's a revolution in game publishing. Uh, you know, previously, your chances of getting your game published were super low. Uh, you know, you would have to go to one of the conventions and do basically what Jason and Matt did with us and Unearth, which is walk around and pitch your game and see if you can get some value or some talent. Uh, but now with Kickstarter, you, 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 you've got the reins. You're in control of this process. Uh, and uh, it, people will take you seriously if you say, if you you know email one of these companies and say, hey, we're launching a Kickstarter next month. Um, can we get a quote? And it's it's really as simple as that. Um, and uh, there's there's a couple of really great for everybody who's listening who wants to get into designing games. There's there's two great resources. One is Board Game Geek, uh, and that's really the the gamers. Hangout, but you know the true gamers, the hardcore gamers. These are the the guys and gals who live, eat, and breathe gaming, and it's a good place to go and see what's been successful and why it's been successful. People will talk about that. Um, and then there's also the VGDF, the Board Game Designers Club, and that's a great place to go and ask questions. So there's people there who, um, you know, they they just talk about designing your games, getting artists for games, and um, what it takes to um, make the game happen. Uh, so both those resources are really useful and really should spend a lot of time there. Um, and then uh, lastly, we really encourage people to go to Stone Mayor Games. That's where I read your interview. <laughs> so these are the guys who make Scythe. Uh, the, the, the guy's name is Jamie Stegmaier. Uh, and we've known Jamie for a while. He was sort of getting rolling at the same time we were. Um, but he is a thousand times smarter about it than we are. Um, Jamie really has put a lot of thought into what makes crowdfunding work and how a small publishing house um, survives. And so he is, when people write us or ask us, you know, do you have any advice? We're about to do this Kickstarter. That's the very first bit of advice I give. Get over to Stoneware Games, read their entire section on Kickstarter, buy Jamie's book on Kickstarter and that's your Bible uh, as you're as you're trying to make this happen. Um, he, he's really done all the work for all of us, and, and we should we should support him in that. Yeah, I I uh, the the interview that he did with you guys it's uh, it's actually in my bookmarks. Uh, it's like the third from the last one uh, from the bottom. I'm showing yeah. Kev right now. I I go back to that like every time. I'm like, all right, what did Boss Monster do? Jamie asked them. I'm going to go back and just cite it over and over and over again for ideas. It's really, really funny that you bring that up. Um, you know, I, he, I, that's very flattering, but, but he's, he's moved way beyond that. He's just, he's got, uh, he's got so much information there now that we find ourselves going back and looking at that stuff and saying, man, we should just, we should just pay Jamie to consult on this. And he's on uh, him and his, I guess his partner have have released a, a handful of games as well. I think they're up to like their fourth or fifth game, um, and I think they were using the same manufacturer as you. They were going to uh, to Panda Games, um, you know, yeah. all, all his games you can see on Panda Games, so that's pretty cool. Um, is a hell of a designer, addition to games, a great publisher, uh, and his latest game, Scythe, is you know frankly the new hotness. Um, it's an amazing game. Uh, I will not be surprised at all if it wins Origins Game of the Year. Um, so he's he's really got his act together. Uh, he's a he's a great person to learn from. Anyone listening to this podcast who's who's uh, interested in game design or publishing tabletop games needs needs to figure out what it's all about. I, I, this is a question I'm just curious about because you know listening to you talk about. Um, you know, Kickstarter and all, you know, the, what you went through, the advice you gave Mike and anyone else listening. <laughs> was there a point, like, before you launched your Kickstarter, maybe, like, when you began, like, seriously thinking about designing the game, 
where you where you guys were wondering, well, what are we going to do? Like was crowdfunding like maybe so new that that wasn't necessarily your option? Did you have other options? Gosh, do we have other options? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, both Johnny and I had, um, he, you know, at the time we published Boss Monster at Professional Jobs. He was a brand manager in the toy industry, and I was a, um, a teaching consultant for higher education. Uh, and we both were making, you know, decent money, and um, we both were pretty darn busy with our day jobs. So we didn't have a ton of time to even work on Boss Monster. Boss Monster happened over the course of three years. It took us three years to develop Boss Monster. Um, and that's, you know, that's keeping in mind it started with an original idea that had been in place for a decade. So um, we, I think early on, as we were sort of talking about taking the plunge, we're both pretty sort of fiscally conservative guys and, and weren't, uh, made a decision early on, we're not going to self-fund this thing. We're not going to put our own money into it. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond, I think, the, you know, we, the, the pixel art that we commissioned, pixel art had the, the double bonus of being very cheap to commission. It was a, you know, art is by and large the, the biggest cost for most games. Um, and pixel art was one way to really minimize those costs. So um, we, uh, we probably talked about it, like getting a loan or going to mom and dad and asking for a loan. Um, but ultimately, we decided if this fails on Kickstarter, that's a very good indicator that it would probably fail in other environments. Um, and we're going to let it go if it doesn't succeed. So, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I think we were so shocked that it succeeded, because we'd really talked ourselves into being okay with it if it failed. Um, and that's that's another thing we tell people is... Um, you know, Kickstarter is great for the money. Well, the money, there's no doubt that getting all that money to, you know, sort of pre-sell the game and um, get it published is really amazing for new designers. But it's also really amazing publicity. That's one of the reasons you see um, already established companies going to Kickstarter to make their games. Um, because, it's a, you know, you can get, you know, even if you only get 6,000 backers, you, know, you might get 50,000 views. Of the game, um, and that's a lot of free publicity. So, um, we really, really did not consider any other avenue. Um, and for most folks, we advise them do not self fund, particularly in terms of commissioning art. Um, you know, I was talking with a guy the other day; he was designing an RPG, and he said, I, "You know, I've got this artist, and..." Um, I can get all the art I need for about 5,000 bucks. And I said, whoa, you know, time out there. Um, that's a lot of money. And RPGs, you know, you know, really successful RPGs may make that much money over the course of a couple of years. Um, so let's talk about ways to minimize your art budget. And one of the ways to do that is um, with Kickstarter, the sort of the, 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 the watchword is fake it till you make it. So uh, the people who are viewing your Kickstarter page or looking at what you're producing, they don't need to know that you haven't done all the art for the game. They don't need to see all the art for the game. They just have to see enough art to make them think you've got everything done. Um, and so we tell people, you know, we, we talk with them about how much of this art do you really need to show people on Kickstarter? You know, this is, this is 5,000 bucks for 30 images or something like that. How much would it cost to commission just five images? So that's another thing we tell people, that if you're going to do a Kickstarter, remember, you don't have to have the game completed in terms of packaged and printed and art and ready to go, but you do have to make it look like it's completed. Um, people on Kickstarter really want to fund things that are fully developed. It's not the spirit of Kickstarter, it's not the way it got started, uh, but it's really what it's become. They, 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 want to, they want to get in on a game that's ready to go and it's going to be successful, um, and so you've got to show them that it, it's ready to go while at the same time knowing you still have a fair bit of time. Yeah, I, I like that mindset of preparing for success, at, but like be ready for, I don't want to say failure, cause it's, but failure, for, you know, more or less. Um, because Kickstarter is such a, 
you know, hit or miss world. If you, if you don't, if you don't catch straight away, you know, you may not catch it at all during your 30 day or 60 day campaign. Um, it is, it's, it's tough. Um, the, you know, boy, I cannot remember the stats, but recently somebody put up the stats on the number of board games that launch on Kickstarter every month. It's a lot. And video games, it's also a lot. Um, but, you know, I, I think you've got to sort of go into it realistically, realizing that it's a very crowded market. Um, board games in general, even outside of Kickstarter, have become an incredibly crowded market. The, um, the, the, the sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the risk versus reward of Kickstarter is still there, though. I mean, because your other options for getting things published are, are pretty, um, are, are pretty, uh, pretty limited. I mean, like I said, it's either Kickstarter or it's do the rounds at the cons and try to find something to put your game in front of. Um, and, and that's a really daunting thing. So I think you you know, for anybody who's really serious about this, Kickstarter or Indigo, whatever crowdfunding it is, it has to be your first, uh, your first choice. It really does. Um, and, and that means sort of figuring out how to make that work. Um, so you had mentioned that, um, you know, you were kind of blown away by the support on Kickstarter. I was, I was kind of under the impression that you went into it already kind of having a following. Did you really develop the following, you know, through Kickstarter where you kind of got the, the play testers who were doing the, uh, the print and play and those kinds of things? Oh yeah. Um, well, I mean, we had done a lot of play testing of the game, but that play testing group was still relatively small. And the, um, the number of people who had actually seen and played boss monster was you know, certainly below 50 at that point. Um, we had shown it around at a couple conventions and um, just tried to get the word out. But uh, no, it was, we did not go into the Kickstarter with any sort of following. Um, and the, the way it took off on Kickstarter, that's when the community really came together. Um, and we were, we were both um, impressed and grateful and also daunted by that community because they really took ownership of the game. We would get emails from guys every day during that Kickstarter saying, hey, man, when's the next stretch goal coming out? You know, we're moving pretty fast towards this one, and we want new cards. And so we were, like, scrambling to keep those people happy. Um, but that's what Kickstarter does. I mean, it, you know, the, the people who, who regularly haunt Kickstarter, sort of Kickstarter junkies, um, they really love that high of making a game happen. Um, of making a project happen, and they want they they take ownership of it, and they feel like they're entitled to a fair bit of return for that. Um, and I think they are entitled to a fair bit of return. We we always, you know, we think of our backers as co-owners of the game. They 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 made it happen, um, and we do feel obligated to them, and um, and and grateful to what they were able to do for us. I'm looking at Mike because I know he has a sheet of questions here. So. I'm pretty sure, like we we hit okay. all these marks. I mean, the only other you know things that um that we might you know want to ask are you know the things like um obviously you, you guys are a huge inspiration for us. Was there a specific you know couple of people who inspired you? But it actually sounds like it was just like ideas floating around in your head. Yeah, I, I don't know that we were trying to. Um... You know, I had never even looked at Kickstarter before going on there and doing some research on successful games versus unsuccessful games, which is another bit of homework we recommend everybody do. Um, and you know, if if there was if, if there was anybody we were attempting to emulate, it would be the designers we admired and the games we wanted to play. Um, but you know, Boss Monster was such a unique and different game, I think, when it came out. It's not like we were emulating any one particular designer. It was just uh, a desire to be part of that community. You know, we wanted to see if we could do this thing. Um, and, you know, this sounds very empty and cliche, but, man, if we were able to do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> because it is, it is um, 
we went in totally unprepared and uninformed. You gave uh, me so much hope, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, you know, we tell people, go in positive, plan for success, make this happen. And, um, you know, you, you've got as good a chance as anybody else on that side um, of, of making this dream of yours happen. Um, and for the most part, you know, the community of gamers is very supportive and will, will, will sort of rally behind you. So we regularly will give feedback to guys who are putting up projects on Kickstarter, uh, and they'll send us a link to their page and say, Hey, what do you guys think of this? Can you give us any feedback? And if we have time, we try to give them feedback. Um, cause we really do want them to succeed. Like I said, you know, the, the great thing about tabletop is there's always a place for one more at the table. Uh, and we, we really want the more games there are out there, uh, in some ways, the better. Yeah, well, it, totally. I mean, the 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 more you know, good tabletop gaming that's out there, you know, the the more your com- the community, the tabletop community is going to grow, and that just helps that you know the community. It helps the business side of it. It just everyone wins when there's more good content out there. Yeah, uh, and there are just some amazing games out there right now. Um, you know, for anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't played a tabletop game in a while, you know, find a game store in your area or a game cafe uh, and, and check it out. There's there's just some really fun games out there. Yeah, I mean, I I love going to like a drive through RPG to discover new tabletop games, uh, and actually like turning to. You know, uh, podcasting, like if you find good tabletop podcasters out there, whether it's RPG or not, like you can f- discover, like that's a great way to discover all these new games that are coming out or, or even maybe classic games that you've never heard of, like just to, to kind of hop on board. And it's a great way to like bond. Like I can't wait till my kids are a little bit older so that I can play games like Boss Monster or like Settlers of Catan, you know, with them because it's, I feel like it's going to be a, a, such, uh, such a fun bonding moment with, with my family. It is. It's very cool. Uh, you know, raising young gamers is really cool. Uh, you, you never have that excuse that you don't have someone to play with anymore. Yeah, I think that's like one of the coolest things is like, as you get older, you lose like your friends. Your friends, you know, tend to move away. Me and Mike are lucky enough that we live five minutes from each other for the last thirty years, uh, but. Not everyone has that, so it is like your family is your first connection before anyone else. As you know, as you grow older, so totally to like find ways to bond so they don't become little shitheads is <laughs> what you need to do. Yeah, it's a gaming is a great education. Yeah, I think it would be uh, remiss for me to not ask this question because obviously, you know, Brotherwise is moving away from bo- Boss Monster to do on Earth. Are you, do you have plans to go back to Mo- uh, Boss Monster and revisit that with any kind of new expansion or sequel Absolutely. or anything? Absolutely. We're actually we'll be launching a new expansion in June. It's a new, uh, it's called Implements of Destruction. Uh, and it is a Tools of Hero kind sequel. So it's item cards. Uh, and uh, it's for anybody who finds that, you know, the, the heroes have gotten a little too easy in Boss Monster for them. Uh, the item cards, the heroes pick them up as they come into town. There's magical weapons and magical items, and uh, it um, uh, it changes the game considerably. So it makes the game a lot tougher. It makes those heroes into a real um, real bonafide threat. Uh, and then if you kill a hero who's carrying an item, you get to keep that item and sell the music. Oh, that's really cool. I like fun cross table stuff. I really like playing with the items. I think it's a it's a very different game, very fun game. So that will be out in June. Uh, it's a mini expansion. Comes in a little mini NES box, uh, like Tools of Terrifying and Crash Landing. Uh, and in general, our you know our goal is to come out with a you know a new expansion every year. So we will we will definitely be reinvesting back into Boss Monster uh, and doing whatever we can to keep it fresh for our players as long as we can. Excellent. Very cool. That's that's exciting to hear as a Boss Monster fan. Chris, before we end the show, before we let you go, uh, do you want to give out a couple plugs where people can find you? Yeah, so we're on uh, brotherwisegames.com on the web. Uh, we're starting, that's that's largely a Boss Monster site, as you might expect, uh, but we're starting to transition it over into more of a, uh, a publisher identity where you can find all our games, including the upcoming on Earth. Uh, and of course, you can find us on Facebook by just searching for Boss Monster Game. Uh, and um, we're on Twitter uh, at uh, hashtag Boss Monster Game. 
And um, uh, in general, uh, we're always happy to talk to new designers. So uh, we have a game submission uh, process. And if anyone's interested uh, in submitting a game for review, they can email us at and we'll send you to the submission page. Very cool. I think it's super cool. I'll, we'll end on this note. I think it's super cool that you, um, with all the success you guys have found with Boss Monster and Brotherwise Games, that you are easily, you know, willingly to work with more indie developers and let them come up as well. I think that's because not everyone does that. When, they, when people find success, sometimes they forget. And I think that's super cool that you guys have not forgotten. Well, uh, you know, it's it's sort of selfish as well. You know, there's a lot of really good ideas out there that people have, and um, uh, you know, I think Unearth is a great example of that. It was a game that we just weren't going to come up with on our own, uh, and so we, we wanted to find a partner who would do that for us. So, uh, thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk with you. All right, thank you, uh, everyone. That was Chris from Brotherwise Games. Uh, we'll be back next week with another great interview. Don't know who yet. Make sure you follow Mike on Twitter at Tellist. You can find out more about his book series and eventually his card game that he's working on. You can find me on Twitter at that nerdy Kevin. Of course, you can find this show on Twitter at Real Awesome Pod. For everything is awesome, I am your host Kev. We've been awesome. Everything is awesome is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, movie, and geek podcasts. Check out some of our other shows like TV Ate My Brain, Let's Chat with Revelin Friends, and Podstalgic at CourtsandParts.com.